The text for the message this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Page 995 in the Pew Bible. Second Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and... Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. <clears throat> Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, children, have you ever asked your mom, Mom, Where's the cookie vessel? Or how many apples should I put in this vessel? Or maybe as a parent came in with your hands full from groceries, did you ever ask your child, child, can you please move the casserole vessel so that I can fit the big four liter milk vessels into the fridge? Have you, have you ever talked like that? Even if you haven't spoken like that, I, can, I want you to remember that you could. You could use that language, it's, it's English. The word vessel is the broad word that speaks of, of several types of containers. And if you're talking about vessels in a home and not the big ones that carry people across oceans, you are referring to the barrels and tubs and pots and jars and vases and bowls and cups that can be made of gold or silver or wood and clay and may, many other materials not listed in the summary in 2 Timothy 2 verse 20. In big houses, some vessels are prepared for noble purposes, 
like those gold or silver goblets used on special occasions, or that fancy clay vase or carved wooden bowl, while other vessels are made for dishonorable uses, like waste, after which they may be destroyed. Now, when you have vessels that can be used for different purposes, we always make sure that the vessels that have been used for a dishonorable purpose, like, like maybe the bowls used to collect the chicken bones that, that we sucked clean and put in on, on the table, those bowls that we want to use once for a dishonorable purpose and then later for something honorable, like putting in our food or drink that we want to eat, those are bowls that we cleanse, used for one purpose at one point, and then washed carefully to be used for another purpose. Well, this illustration of contrasts between honorable and dishonorable use of vessels in the home that's found right in the middle of our passage is key to the Holy Spirit's explanations and exhortations in the entire passage. For the passage is talking about the contrast between what is valuable and useful in God's kingdom and what is empty and harmful. The illustration makes us think about what we use our lives for, how our lives are serving in this world. Are we using our bodies and minds for honorable and lasting purposes, or do we treat them as if they are disposable vessels for the dishonorable things? Well, the great thing about the illustration is that it highlights that it's possible to change your direction in life. Like a dish that is washed after a dishonorable use so that it can be used for something more, more special. So people who have been wasting their time on pointless pursuits can be cleansed and can be prepared for good things. That's the reality for every one here today who believes in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are cleansed from your sins in his blood and then led into a life of glorifying God by the Holy Spirit in the special purposes and noble purposes that God has for each one of us in his kingdom. The words of our text today are addressed to people who have been cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ, who share in the benefits of his victory. And I preach you this gospel under the theme, God prepared you to be vessels for noble purposes, set apart for holy service and useful to the master. The word for master is the same word as the word for Lord. So we read in Romans 9, verses 20 to 24, that our sovereign God is a potter who has shaped the clay. And that passage tells us he has the absolute freedom in deciding whether we will face destruction or not. But in our passage, the emphasis is on his infinite mercy and his good pleasure that he has decided that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and who's washed in his blood would be set apart for holy service in his kingdom. It's by God's grace that we have been cleansed and we have been set apart to serve. And it's by God's grace that 
the Holy Spirit in our heart instills in us the desire to seek to live as the vessels of gold, silver, wood, and clay that God has set apart for holy service, fleeing from all that might defile us again. And so in this theme we see in our text, the first application in the verses before our text, verses 14 and following, that first application is directed to those who teach, who remain faithful to God's truth without being ashamed, even when they're proved by trials. And when Paul teaches Timothy in verse 15 to be an approved worker who rightly handles the word of truth, the emphasis of those words falls on the, on the word rightly. Although other people may handle the Bible and they may give meandering and swerving explanations to justify what they want to do, God's approved workers will be eager to give the clear and simple message of God's word at whatever the cost. Like a person who's, who's cutting a road through a forest, a road that's as straight as Highway 2 from Edmonton to Calgary, rightly handling the word of truth means going straight to the goal of the text and sticking to this clear interpretation of his word without being ashamed of its simplicity or its radical call to repentance and faith. Now you can see perhaps why a person might feel a little ashamed of their, their one little book among the, the thousands, hundreds of thousands of books. And they might feel ashamed of the, the ten little commandments that are summarized just in two in a context of so many legal books in the world. And they may be ashamed of their, their simple prayers that our Lord Jesus taught us or, or the simple creeds that we use to summarize our faith. Paul urges the church and all preachers that no matter what people want to hear, God's workers who rightly handle the word of truth will get to the heart of the matter. Remind their hearers of the basic truth, the key points of the Apostles' Gospel. And so Paul starts to remind them of these things. And you can look at verse 12 to see a good summary. Christ has obtained salvation with eternal glory for everyone who endures in faithful trust. And the danger that Timothy and, and all preachers and, and, and all churches face is that people often prefer to have so-called theological debates about words rather than face their need to confess their sins, to repent and submit their lives to our Lord Jesus in service to one another. People might hear the question, do you believe that Jesus is your complete Savior? And, and you can imagine the, the words, uh, diversion tactics that come flowing out as a barrage, barrage of words that, that leave you overwhelmed. What do you mean by Jesus? What do you mean by believe? What do you mean by Savior? I think we need to talk about where the church is today. Well, the teaching of Hymenaeus and Philetus serve as an example about a quarrel, about words, and irreverent babble. For it appears that these men swerved from the truth and the straight line of Scripture and they taught that the resurrection had already happened. Verse 18. 
Now when we compare with 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12, where Paul deals with people who say there is no resurrection, and 2, Timoth uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 2, where Paul urges believers not to be upset by those who said the day of the Lord has already come, we see it is possible that Hymenaeus and, and Philetus and other false teachers were having a debate about the word resurrection. You can imagine the discussion. They, they were asking, did the word mean nothing more than perhaps conversion? Or was it a word that was talking about the freeing of the mind from the slavery of the body? Or, or is it a bodily resurrection? And if that's the case, could it be that maybe you have missed it and God has forgotten you? And so they upset the faith of some. And the problem that Paul points to is that, that the, all these words were being used as a smokescreen to hide the fact that they did not believe in the victory of Christ over death for all who believe in him. And Paul's illustration highlights the danger of people who use words and sophisticated sounding arguments to justify giving into temptations of the world, to justify denying Christ with their irreverent babble. And sadly, this is something you may still encounter today. Maybe it's something you even find yourself doing. Many of us can think of examples of people living in sin who then try to bring up questions about theological topics to divert you from addressing them on their unkindness to their families and their co-workers or their greed or their addiction or their sexual immorality or their lack of commitment to the worship services. And then you see why Paul is so emphatic in commanding Timothy to charge them, he says, before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. This avoidance of the issues that cut rightly to the heart from the word of God is not what God has set us apart to do. If a teaching leads you to do dishonorable things, like abandoning God's people in need, or embracing iniquity rather than fighting against sin and dying with Christ, or being faithless in trials. This is not a teaching that is built on the foundation of truth that God has established. And so the Holy Spirit ends this section assuring everyone whose faith has been upset by any teaching that suggests that God has left them behind or that God does not care about how we live our lives when he declares very clearly, cutting straight to the point, God's firm foundation stands and it bears this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now God's firm foundation is probably a reference to the faithful church in the world. You can see that from 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. And the seal is like a public announcement, like a big sign on, on the church that explains how we got to be where we are and identifies believers as 
children of God who belong to the Lord, who protects them in their holy calling. The resurrection has not already happened, the bodily resurrection of the saints. Everyone who loves God is known to God, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3. And God wants all who, who follow Jesus Christ to depart from iniquity. He has set you apart as holy vessels for his service, for his noble purposes. He wants you to be useful to the master of the house in every good work. You see that in the second point. Now, if you are familiar with Thomas the Tank Engine, his children book series, it was written by a Presbyterian minister. If you're familiar with Thomas the Tank Engine, you've read some of the books, you will know that the highest praise that the main character, Thomas, received was that he was being a very useful engine. A community that is dedicated to service, like a fleet of trains made up of different skill sets, just like a human body where every part has a function that is useful for the smooth operation of the entire body. The same theme is what is underlining everything that the Holy Spirit is teaching us in this passage. He first tells us we're set apart, and then he tells us why we have been set apart. And it's because God wants us to be useful in his kingdom. We have not been set apart for destruction, like the defiled or the broken vessels which remain entrenched in dishonorable things, but like the vessels that the master of the house has prepared for noble purposes in his, in his kingdom. We have that high calling as members of Christ's church, whether our qualities are, are compared to gold or silver or wood or clay, all have been saved by God, set apart from the world, and made ready for the honorable purpose of being useful to God in his kingdom. And then the contrasts that follow this illustration serve to emphasize the difference between people who waste their lives and people who are helpful, profitable, beneficial servants of God in the advance of the kingdom. And if you want to know now what useful people will flee, Paul makes that very clear. You can see the first thing he points to in verse 22 is youthful passions. Now, it's good to have passion and desires and goals. We're, we're coming into the, the weeks right before graduation when we speak of where we want to be in the future. But this passage here is referring to the evil desires of youth. The, the, the desires that are revealed when we are children, here we see the desire of selfishness and that pursuit of instant gratification. And then the desires of, of young teacher, uh, teenagers who are dealing with bodies, growth, and hormone changes. And then we add in some other evil desires from anger and pride and contempt and fear of others' opinions. And then young adults who are heading into our different career paths, and now we add in some more evil desires such as greed and impatience with others and the desire to try the harmful things that God has forbidden and the disdain for authority and the doubts about the Christian teaching in our homes. Apostle says when we cling 
to these things, even into to adulthood, which we all recognize as those leftover vices that we have not yet managed to overcome. Paul says, if you continue to harm yourselves and others in these ways, you're not living a useful life. You see, sinful, youthful passions hinder our usefulness in the kingdom. They do not belong in the lives of the vessels that the master of the house has set aside for noble purposes. And then the second thing the Holy Spirit points to at verse 23 is the, the foolish and ignorant controversies which breed quarrels. And the words here are, are, are pointing to those arguments about things that are irrelevant or disconnected to the, the reality that God has revealed in Scripture. In verse 24, the Holy Spirit makes it clear that people who serve God will not want to be quarrelsome. And that's a word that speaks about the, the love of the fight and, and the dispute and walking away and saying, well, I won that argument. I'm the, the victor. The word speaks of that kind of attitude as opposed to a reasoned conversation with an openness to controversy. And then the Holy Spirit is, is saying to us, don't have anything to do with that. Don't, don't have anything to do with, with taking strong positions on things that are not important for our eternal well-being. Those foolish, the ignorant controversies. Things like appearances or preferences or political decisions or purchases. Because it's not useful to the master of the house if you waste your life on such disputes if it's irrelevant to our holy calling to the Lord and obedience, then be aware that there is room for different opinions, different preferences being correct. And your effort to fight for your way in a quarrelsome manner is as useless in God's kingdom as a coffee mug without a bottom. And the reason that youthful passions and foolish, ignorant controversies are useless can be found in verses 25 and 26 of our text. They are useless because they don't lead others to repent and to come to a knowledge of the truth. They are useless because they don't help people to come to their senses and to escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And then you see that usefulness is determined by value to others around you. Rescuing others from the devil's trap is a goal that we can set for our lives when we are striving to be useful. You see, the enemy is not the people who think differently than us on temporary and irrelevant matters. But the enemy is the devil. The word means accuser. The one who deceives and blinds people in order to ensnare them through their love of, of their sins so that they do his will rather than repent and rejoice in the truth about God's love. And you can see the Holy Spirit speaking of that in verses 25 and 26. The youthful passions that spring from our sinful nature 
and that we may continue to struggle with as we grow older, wild partying, sexual immorality, love of money and extravagant living, and the major disputes about those irrelevant things, ignorant controversies that actually lead us to be so angry and so frustrated and to even verbally abuse other people, whether in person or on social media, a self-righteous contempt for unbelievers, that unkindness to others, and then finally any overall unwillingness to submit to the King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. Yes, all these things are not useful among those who name the name of the Lord as their Savior. They're not useful because they do not lead us to a deeper knowledge of the truth. They do not encourage repentance before the Lord in others or in ourselves. They don't help people, including ourselves, to come to our senses. They don't free people who are held captive in the snare of the accuser, the devil. Something we say or do is only useful in God's kingdom if it causes the spiritual growth of others. Think about how, what you say and what you do and, and how you analyze things. How, how does it bring others closer to the master of the house who saved us and set us apart? When God changes our hearts, he cleanses us from sin and he also makes us ready. The end of verse 22 speaks of being prepared for good works. He makes us ready to walk in the works that he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Ephesians 2 verse 8. So then we come to the last part of the text. It's simultaneous to the command to flee youthful passions is the command to be useful, to pursue righteousness, pursue obedience to, to God's law versus the evil desires of youth. Pursue faith versus false teaching that just causes doubt. Pursue love, pursue peace, versus quarreling and, and fighting. And not just Timothy as a, as a leader, not just the leaders of the church, but as an entire body and an assembly of believers of those who call upon the name of the Lord from a purified, a cleansed heart. A useful vessel in God's kingdom is a vessel that wants to be used to serve God, to be an instrument in his hand for the glory of his name, who recognizes the special way that God has shaped them as individuals so that they might serve his noble his purposes by being, like we read in verse 24, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, which speaks of evil being done to you, while at the same time correcting opponents of God with gentleness. Just look at that list in verse 24. Paul tells us to consider what he says, and again, you need to consider how that list describes our lives. How are you serving others in this way.
the Holy Spirit in our hearts makes us truly believe that Christ is our eternal King. And Christ is using the church, his church, to, to bring elect people out of the snare of the devil. And we believe that we have a special, honorable use in this work as a part of his body. And so when you act in a sober and a kind and encouraging, gentle and patient way, because you're convinced that by God's grace you have everything in Christ already and you have nothing to lose except for maybe a few temporary things, then you are living according to the way that God made you to live. Then you are truly a servant of God and not of yourselves or of other people. Do you see how God has set you apart by his Holy Spirit? You can put your own name. It's a very individual reality. God has set you apart by his Holy Spirit so that you might use your bodies and your minds to do the good works that are useful to the work of the triune God. And so we come back to the questions, how useful is your life in the kingdom of God? Is the strain of dishonorable use threatening to cause the bottom of your jar to fall out? Has the silver of your bowl been tarnished by lack of attention? Has the time come for you to confess your sins before God and repent and be cleansed of what is dishonorable so that forgiven in Christ you can start walking in step, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit? May God help every one of us who wants to serve the master of the house to be that set-apart, holy vessel that is useful as we pursue the noble purposes of righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Be set apart. God prepared everyone who turns to him in faith to be vessels for noble purposes in his house. Live as those set-apart people you are. Be useful. Amen.